Good evening and welcome to Addiction Talk. It is our final episode of the year, and I can't think of a better guest to have on tonight's episode than Danny Trejo. When I say that name, if you don't know it, you haven't been watching movies. But let's take a look at more about his life. At 78 years old, Danny Trejo is one of the most recognizable actors in Hollywood. Having starred in dozens of films in his career, including Desperado, Heat, from Dust Till Dawn series, Spy Kids movies, Machete, Granddaddy Daycare, and The Minions. But his rise to fame came after a troubled past, which included drug addiction and time behind bars, a story he shares in his memoir. Today, he is 54 years sober and counting and has a redemption story to share. Addiction Talk starts now. And I'm joined now by Danny Trejo. He's joining us from California. He told me, Danny, you were saying you just got back from filming, actually, in Spokane, Washington, where it was what? Zero degrees. Zero degrees. <laughs> right, right. So we're excited to have you with us tonight to share more of your story. But even as I was talking to you backstage, Danny, one thing that caught my eye or my attention right away is you talked about being an inspiration for so many people. Like people literally come up to you and tell you just based on your sobriety story that you are changing their lives. Tell me about this recent story where this just happened while you were filming just days ago. I went on a film. I always look for God in everything. I know he's there. And I, I went on a film, Spokane, Washington, and it's zero degrees. It's cold. And I ask, okay, God, why you got me up here? So all of a sudden, I run into this one guy, uh, and he says, uh, hey, I heard you about 10 years ago, Dan. I, I got a, I got eight years clean. I was blah, blah, blah. And then I fell off. I've been using drinking for two years. And I said, well, that's why God got me here. I was wondering. And that's just it. We started talking. He said, Dan, I'm going to use you for my inspiration. I said, use me wherever you want. You know what I mean? I gave him my phone number. He said, call me. He said, well, you know, if it was too late, I said, let me tell you something, Holmes. It's never too late, man. <laughs> you know I mean? and, that is the truth. It's never too late. That's a powerful just, you know what? Anytime you feel like drinking, just call me. You know, we'll talk. And you know what? Even Call me even if it's, they'll be go to hell. Your program don't work. It's okay. Just call me. That's all. And just that little step, even to say something, it's like you take away the 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 obsession to drink, you know, just like, okay. And man, I've talked to people you know, till two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, just like how you feeling now? Yeah, I feel better. Okay, let's but go wait, Danny, you know, what's amazing to me that you're this big time actor, but yet you're giving people your personal phone number in terms yeah. of just being able to help them. Are you that committed? Is it just something you feel called to do to be able to help people who are struggling? Cause you think back about your own life. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm not as big as some actors, but I, yeah, I give out my number. I, you know, everybody, God, it's written on some bathroom walls. I think I mean, I, <laughs> you know, and for help, call them. But uh, I get, you know, I get people calling me from the penitentiary and say, "Hey, Dan, you know, I'm coming out. You know, good, okay. You know, we'll see. You know, I, I, right now, Mario Castile is a 
my assistant and, and he was working with lifers. So right now we're both working with all the guys getting out of the pen that, that have done 30 years, 35 mm-hmm. years, because once you've done that, it's like your family's gone. You have nobody, you come out to nothing, you know? Well, I think it's huge that you're able to share, you know, your story with other people. And even like you said, giving your phone number or whether that's connecting with the people in the penitentiary. But I think what is huge about you, Danny, and I think you are the only person that I know that has 54 years and counting of sobriety. Just hearing that alone, people are like, how did you get there? Because we always hear about it being one day at a time. But how do you get to 54 years? That's how you get there one day at a time. You know what? When I came out of the pen uh, in 1969, I had I'd I'd I swore to God, you know, if you, hey, if you let me die with dignity, I'll say your name every day and I'll do whatever I can for my fellow inmate. I said inmate because I thought I was never getting out of prison. And then by the grace of God, the parole board says, we're sick of you, Trejo. Bring us back a life sentence. And uh, I left. And you know what? My first sponsor was a guy named Frank Russo. My second sponsor was a guy named uh, Sam Harding. Johnny Harris, I met in 1962. I was in prison. He was uh, out of prison. He came up to talk. I met him there. And I'll, I remember I was all starched, real. Everybody else was a mess. You know, they were wearing prison clothes. I had prison clothes, but mine were all starched and pressed. And I was a convict. And that means that uh, you're different, you know, and you got money and they don't. And so I, it was funny, Johnny Harris. You know what, Danny? The only thing that's going to beat you to San Quentin are the headlights on the bus. And I thought that was a compliment. You know, but, wow. <laughs> but he, was, he was telling me, you know what? You, you you're just you're made for prison, and I was. I literally couldn't wait, and I just bounced all through the penal system. And in uh, 1968, it's when I wait a minute. And I used drugs in every penitentiary in the state of California. Wait a minute. So even inside the penitentiary, you, whoa. In 1968, Cinco de Mayo, I was hooked on heroin. I was drinking. A riot ensued. We went to the hole. I remember Henry Quijada saying, I can say his name was he passed away, killed in a robbery. But he said, hey, Danny, they're going to top us. And it hit me that, wow, they were the center of the gas chamber. And I thought, you know, it, it, it was like, wait, 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 we were just playing. You know, I mean, it was like, come on, guys, this is. And I remember just asking God, let me die with dignity. If I had, let me die with dignity, and and I'll say your name every day, and I'll do whatever I can for my fellow inmate. I said inmate because I thought I'd never get yeah, out. Yeah, you thought you'd never, and that's what's so remarkable. Not only, you know, we're talking about fifty-four years. But how you go from prison sentence, right? You said, you know, you're in the midst of this. You can't see how anything's going to be different. You go from prison sentence to Hollywood. Like, how does that even happen? When I came out of prison, I was a, everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. I came out, uh, I was working in a wrecking yard from a a guy named Frank Russo and uh, Frank Carlisi. The owner and 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 I was Frank. Me and Frank Russo were busted. We were in prison together, and he got out first. And he started working. And he said, "Hey, uh, I've never forget because he said, hey, I got everything ready for you.' 
Now, in prison terms, that means he's got a girl, a gun, and some scores. He had a job. <laughs> so, oh, so he totally surprised you. You so, can come out. You're not sure what he's, you're going to do. Yeah. He has so, a job for you. You I, end up landing in acting. Was that even something you even thought you were talented, gifted was, at? Something was, that even crossed your mind during this whole journey worked, that you've been on? I worked in this wrecking yard. Then me and a kid named Danny Levitov started a gardening business. And then we after that, we we uh, I, I became a drug counselor. I was a drug counselor from 1973. I'm still a drug counselor. I work for Western Pacific Med Corps. And I used to work for a guy named Jimmy Pena who and Norm Sprunk, uh, who ran the Narcotics Prevention Project in Boyle Heights. And we detoxed. We detoxed drug addicts. And it's funny because Jimmy hired me, right? And and I always thought that he hired me because I'd be a good counselor. He says, no, Danny, we, they had all these dope fiends that were dealing out in front of the the the, the agency there, the narcotic prevention on, on, on uh, it used to be Brooklyn Avenue. Now it's, it's changed to, to Cesar Chavez. But they had all these drug addicts dealing. He hired me because he knew I fought. I was lightweight and welterweight champion every instance. I mean, so he hired me so I'd get rid of him. And so basically I was the muscle and I, I was chasing all the dope fiends away and they, they left. So, and then, then I, I stayed working and I, I went to work for, uh, Dr. Dore and Mark Hickman, and I'm still working for Mark Hickman today. And but but so how did that lead you to Hollywood? Because well, I hear you. I mean, it's interesting the, as you're telling me. Just to kind of flashback. Kids, no, one of the kids in 1985. One of the kids that I was working with was working as an extra, and he said, "Hey, we can make an extra fifty bucks." So I got in with this one agency that that did extras. I showed up on a movie set called Runaway Train, and. Uh, it's funny, I'm standing there, and this guy says, hey, uh, you want to be in this movie? I says, what do I got to do? He says, do you want to be an extra? I said, extra what? He said, uh, can you act like a convict? I thought he was, I thought he was joking. I said, I said uh, I'm San Quentin, Soledad, Folsom, Vacerville, Chooseville, Sierra. I said, oh, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, and I took off my shirt, and I got that big tattoo on my chest. And the minute I took off my shirt, this other guy, this old I keep saying old guy, I hate saying that. He was about 60. He came and says, hey, you're Danny Trejo. I said, you're Eddie Bunker. I knew this guy in San Quentin. Mm. And he was the captain's clerk. The captain's clerk is the most powerful uh, uh, job that you can have in prison because you, the captain signs everything. He doesn't read nothing. He just signs it. So you can send the guard out to the tower if you want, you know, and uh, and people would pay him to have a cell change or to, you know, lay, whatever, you know. And so, and uh, Eddie was a writer, you know, and uh, he was writing, uh, uh, what do you call it, writs for people to get out. And he got a lot of people out of prison because of the writs. Writs have to be gr grammatically correct. You can't have any mistakes in them. And so... He's he became a, a writer. So he took that, became a writer in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when I ran into him on the set, he said, what are you doing here? Dennis? I think I'm going to be an extra. They're going to give me 50 bucks for acting like a convict. And we laughed because we both been doing that for years for free. You know, and, uh, and uh, he says, so uh, now they say, Hey, can you come in and play a convict? We're going to play you 50 bucks. 
And it all kind of started from that moment? Well, you know what? Uh, Eddie said, are you still boxing? I said, Eddie, I'm 40 years old. I I don't want to get hit in the face no more. Look at me. He He said, we need somebody to train one of the actors how to box. And I said, what's it pay? Because they're going to give me 50 bucks. He says, 320 a day. And when he said that, I said, how bad do you want this guy beat up? I thought it was a hit. I'm 320. I wasn't making that a week. You know, I think they give me that a day. I said, how bad do you want this guy beat up? He goes, no, 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 you can't hit this kid, man. He's real high strung. He's already socked some people, Danny. I said, hey, for 320 bucks, you can give him a stick, homie. I've been beat up for free. And mm. uh, I started training an actor named Eric Roberts how to box for a movie called Runaway Train. The director saw me, and and Eric was a movie star. So movie stars are very, very entitled. And Andre Kajalowski was having a lot of trouble dealing with the movie stars because they're dicks. But, but uh, uh, you know, and Eric would do whatever I told him to do, you know, because he wanted to learn how to box. And Andre saw it and he said, I'll never forget Denny, because he was a Russian aristocrat. This was his first American movie. He says, Denny, you be in movie. You fight Eric in movie. And you Mm. be my friend. Now, if you have a prison background and somebody says, hey, why don't you be my friend? It's, there's a, wait wait a minute, I'm not taking a shower with you, punk. You know, it's like, you don't know what that means. You don't know what that means. But he's like, open the door for you. He leans over and he kisses me on both cheeks and walks away. I'll never forget what I said. Eddie, I'm going to train the kid for the 320. But if I got to kiss that old man, I want more money. And Eddie says, no, they're European. They kiss. I said, okay, so if I found out, when I found out what that old man did for me by giving me that SAG card, I'd have come well, over. He gave you your back. first SAG card, opened the door for you oh, to no. say you're going to come in and do this boxing, and then your career just starts taking off. Listen, Were you first, thinking you had acting skills? The first five years of my career, I played bad guy, Chicano dude, tattooed guy, Arm robber, mean guy. I played all, the, and it was like a, it was funny. My, the the first half of my life was just like a character study of what I was gonna do. And every every movie I came on, a director would say, "Oh, take off your shirt," because they all knew my tattoo. I did every prison movies from 1985 to about 1989, or not, I mean, I did prison movies, and I I. Uh, It's so funny. I remember one director saying, Danny, where did you study? Because I was supposed to do this armed robbery. Where did you study? I said, Yvonne, Safeway, uh, Piggly Wiggly, uh, Thrifties, every place we robbed. And so it was like, wow, you know, he never heard of those schools. And I didn't want to tell him they were markets. You know, right. So. And you learn. But you know what? I want to go back because I know we've been talking a lot about your career and how, you know, you got into the acting thing. But you talked about how your life, you know, was preparation for all of these, you know, characters that you played. So take me back to when you started having, you know, the interaction with drugs. I know you said you were young. I've read you did your first drug deal, I think, at seven. You were using heroin by 12. Take me back to how we got to before this, what was life like for you? My my, uh, my family was, the word macho, 
if you see a macho, it's got a picture of my family. Okay, that's where it came from. I my 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 dad had five brothers, and you know, they were all just tough. You know, every one of them. It was all about being tough. And uh, I can remember. I can remember that. I can remember like they they all had looks that would like like turn people to stone. You mm. know. I mean, I I would watch my dad look at somebody and watch. Hey, hey, what, what, what? You know. And I developed that, you know, and, and and nobody ever had time, you know. It was like I'm doing something. I can remember asking my mom. She's on the phone, going, "Hey, mom." She goes, "Shut the two step on the phone, stupid." And, and she, you know, and I asked my dad, "Dad, hey, what, what? I'm on the phone, you idiot." You know, we're talking now. My uncle Gilbert, my uncle Gilbert was a drug addict and an armed robber, and mm. I would say, "Hey, Gilbert," he go, "Whoever's on the phone," he go. Hey Gilbert, he go. Hey, hold on. What do you want, Mule? Wow. Honest to God, and, and nothing against my parents because they were busy. They were, you know, working. They were. And what do you want, Mule? That little thing. It's like when I talk to to to. I you got to give kids time. Doesn't matter what you're doing. I know. I know. Parents, you got bills. I know you got car payments. I know you're striving to get a better life. But you know what? While you're striving to get a better life. Your kids being ignored. And you so know? it was that uncle who was like this big drug dealer into everything. That's he gave you that attention. So was that the, like to you, okay, I want to be like him? Or it kind of led you to hey, want to try what he was doing? I was, I was eight years old and him, Jimmy Jimenez and Bobby Ortega, they were out on, on the grass. They had a big Bible. And I walked out there to be with them. And I all I remember hearing is, let's get him loaded. And mm. wait, looking, you were eight years old. They were looking at this, but well, you know what? I know everybody says when I say that to kids, they go, uh huh, because they know it's like people are getting loaded at eight, nine, ten years old. Wow. You know, because if you have somebody getting loaded in your family, they're getting their siblings loaded. It's that simple, and nobody wants to believe it. Kids, when I speak at a grammar school and I say, Yeah, and I got you know, loaded when I was eight years old, a couple of them have already know what I'm talking about. Wow. You understand? And so, so they, you know, they got me loaded and I loved it. And it's funny that I think addiction, it's, it's a, it's a, 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 it's an obsession of the mind coupled with an allergy of the body. You know, Mm. and and, and it's like, it's like, I remember I got loaded. I was wasted. Right. And then Tim Sanchez, my next door neighbor, I tried to get him loaded. He got sick, threw up and, and never got loaded again. So there's something, there's a chemical imbalance somewhere where people who take drugs, keep taking them. Some people take them and never use them again. And so, so it's like, like I started using drugs. Gilbert gave me heroin when I was 12. And well, I snitched. I, I told him I'd snitch on him if he didn't, because I caught him shooting drugs. And you're gonna have to understand, like my grandfather was a tyrant. My grandfather ran our family, you know, and all he had to do was, and everybody do something. And, and uh, I can remember one time me and Gilbert were standing there. I was, I was about 11 and a half. Oh, I was going to be 12. And Gilbert was right here and he was screaming at us. And I don't know if you ever had somebody screaming at you that froth is actually coming out of their mouth. They're like, they're like 
insanely angry, you know. And I'm like this, and I'm squeezing my cheeks because I know I'm going to shit my pants. And, mm. and I'm like, oh, I know he's going to hit me. And Gilbert, I'm watching Gilbert go. Mm. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. And he got so angry at Gilbert because Gilbert went to sleep. Mm. He nodded out. And when he got so angry, he almost had a seizure and ran, went into his room, didn't hit us. Gilbert woke up like, hey, did he hit us? I go, oh, God, I want to be just like you for the rest of my life. Mm. I want to be able to stare at the devil and spit at him and go to sleep. And, and so, so that, even seeing that, that's deep. I mean, Danny, that's so deep, the psychological impact at that moment. When and I saying, I want to be able to endure that. When I seen him fix and go, go into that, oh, give me both arms. You know I mean? It was like, I, I wanted to be there. I didn't want to be a scared little kid. Do you understand? I didn't want to be as scared of my grandfather. I didn't want to be as scared of my dad. You know what I mean? And, well, it was and, almost like a coping mechanism for you. Like oh, the drug became God, a way it, for you to cope. It it, it was a coping. It was self medicating. You know what I mean? It was like, wait a minute, man. I and and I you know I got loaded all through junior high school. I got drunk all junior. High. I I got I think I got kicked out of junior high about eleven times. I don't because not all the time, but I, I, if I had cornflakes on my shoes, they knew I'd throw it up. Yeah, you know I mean, so it was like that's what we did. That's and so you did. went through we did, your we Mike Cerna did our first robbery. We were 14. We did it, we did the at the Far East Market, right down the street, like where I still live. And it's funny because we stole my uncle's uh 1955 uh Ford Fairlane 500 pink and white convertible. Now, can you imagine doing an arm robbery in a big <laughs> And we oh. did it. We did it with a gun that didn't work. It was like the gun, you held it like this, but if you took your hand up, it would fall down. Hmm. So, you know, the, it, would, it would break. So I remember going, give me the money. Give me the money. And she gave me $8 out of the cash register. But in the old days, everybody kept all the big bills in a cigar box underneath the counter. Hmm. I said, no, give me the box. And when I went like that, the gun went down. Somebody comes screaming out of the back. We we ran and we were like laughing, going down Lancashire Boulevard, just cracking up. And then well, we Danny, got- you know what's interesting to me, even as you're telling your story, I can tell you're an actor. It's almost like you're telling me, a, I mean, really, I feel like I'm watching one of your movies. Hey, you this, a, but this was literally I, your I, I, real life. I've been acting all my life. It was like, you know, because I, if you're, if you're 132 pounds or 109 and, and you got to act tough, it's like, you know, you get down, you can, you can get down. And then if you get a little bit of wine in you, wine Alcohol makes you as big as you want to be. So it was but, like that. So let me ask you this, Danny. When did you realize? Because as you said, the alcohol, the drugs, the heroin helped you to cope. It was like self-medicating. When did you have the light bulb realization? Because I know you I, went to treatment, but when did you have the light bulb realization that I can't live like this anymore? What was it for you that said something's gotta change? When I was in the hole in Solidarity. And Henry Quijada said, hey, they're going to top us. 
It's like all my life, all my teachers had a lot of potential, but he won't sit still. High school, a lot of potential, but God, he doesn't come to school. Parole officer, a lot of potential, but he won't stop committing crimes. And I always had a lot of potential. Mm. And when Henry said that, I'm looking and I said, God, what happened to all my potential? And it just stuck with me, you know. And and I remember saying, you know what, if I, I got to die. I, I remember this, this movie. It was called The East Side Kids. It was a, a story back in the 50s. And... And the guys in the gang, the main guy, the big guy was going up the river to sing, sing. And they were going to give him the chair, right? And and Muggsy and all the guys were saying, hey, he'll spit in their eye. Yeah, he'll tell them, come get me, coppers. And and Pat O'Brien had to come and tell these kids, nah, he went out like a little girl, man. He was screaming, yelling, pissed his mm-hmm. And I remember saying, God, let me die with dignity. Mm. I had a reputation, lightweight and multiweight champion in this institution. No, but I think, you know, what you said there, Danny, is so powerful because it almost, you know, when you said it, it touched me because there's so many people, kids, like you said, who had so much potential. Even your parole officer saying, Danny, you have so much potential and you're in the hole. You're at this moment where you're thinking this could be the end for you potentially. And you're realizing I have all this potential. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to die and I've done nothing with it. And so was that, did that kind of just propel you to say, if I get out of here, life no, I said, different. I, I'll tell you, I said, Lord, if you let me die with dignity, if I get out, I will say your name every day and I will do whatever I can for my fellow inmate. I said, inmate, I never thought I was getting out of prison. I went to board in 1969. The parole board literally said, Trejo, we're sick of you. Mm. you know, you've been a pain in our ass for years. Now, look, it. we're going to let you out. Bring us back a life sentence. Because I only had a 10 top that time. Mm. So they only had me for four more years. You know what I mean? So bring us back a life sentence. Because they knew I was coming back. Wow. So they just thought you were coming back. So when you look back, you know, Danny, which has been interesting, because we see like your childhood and what you were dealing with. And then we see, you know, these moments of revelation that you have. But here you go on and you become this actor and your whole life. I mean, changes. That that director literally changed my life. Andre Kozlowski changed my life. I didn't know what a SAG card was. I was making maybe $160 a week, you know, and that was a you know good money for you know the the seventies and eighties, I guess. I don't, I don't even remember. But I was a drug counselor and I was helping a lot of people. And when I got that SAG card, changed my life. And I remember going to Dr. Door, my boss telling me, Hey, you know what? I got in the movies home. He said, Good, keep going, keep it up. That way you can keep saying our name, say Western. Okay, cool. So he used me as a, uh, I guess, a commercial. I don't know, but I got a lot of people. I'd be on a movie set and I'd see somebody loaded. I'd say, Holmes, come on. Let's let's get into rehab or let's get clean. Well, you, you know, when I think about that, I'm looking at the comments here, just somebody saying, hey, my home has 25 years. Your long-term sobriety is possible. Your inspiration. And I wonder 
when you think about why you've been so successful at sobriety, do you feel, of course, I know you're going to say God, but do you also feel hope was a big part of it and having purpose? Because for the first time with the SAG, it seems like you had hope and you had purpose. Hope was the magic word. Purpose, absolutely. And you know, when I got into movies, the first thing, when I was still speaking at school, I can remember walking onto a stage in an auditorium after teachers had been trying to get kids quiet. I've been to some of the worst schools in LA. Walk on, complete quiet. Wow, that's that guy from Con Air, Heat, Desperado, uh, you know, uh, Blood In, Blood Out. Not so much Danny Trejo. I can't take the credit. It is those guys that they've seen in their living room. They want to see what he has to say because that's who they know. And when I start talking about drugs and alcohol will ruin your life, education is the key to anything you want to do. Teachers have come, you know what? They listened. Mm. They listened because it was you. And that's that's like that's like a that's joy. Be huge for you just to know <laughs> that your life, like you said, your life now has turned into inspiration that is convincing young kids not to go down a path that you went down, showing them that there's hope and potential. And what do you hope, um, Danny, that people learn from your 54 years of sobriety? When somebody says how you did it, what do you hope that person who's struggling right now with addiction, what do you hope they walk away with from that, your story? First of all, that it is possible. Do you understand? It is possible. All we got to do is stay clean one day. You know, just one day. Just bring all problems in to one day. I always say, <clears throat> try breathing for tomorrow. Go, that's for tomorrow. No, it's not. I just used it. You know, so I, I can't breathe for tomorrow. And yesterday's gone. You know, I, mean, I can't breathe. It's like, I'm right here today. And as long mm-hmm. as I keep my problems in today, you understand? It's like, I, I got it. God, God's got me for tomorrow. So I'm here. I'm here. I'm doing this. I, I, I did a movie called Blood In, Blood Out. I did it in San Quentin State Prison. I'd been in Quentin in the 60s. <clears throat> I ran into a kid in, in San Quentin named Mario Castillo. Okay. We talked about staying clean, staying sober. He was like, yeah, yeah, you're in the movies. Cool, cool, cool. And I talked to him. About eight years later, when he finally went back and forth and got out, I ran into him on a on a movie. No, oh no, I'm sorry, on a, a, a Narcotics Anonymous convention. And he goes, "Yeah, I'm working in drug abuse. I took your advice. Yeah, I'm clean." Blah, blah. And it was really cool. We became friends. And then he got uh, liver cancer, and he, he needed a liver replacement. You know, his liver. They gave him a liver, and he was became destitute because. You know, there's no insurance for that stuff, and and uh, and so hey, well, you know what? Move into my pad, answer my phone. Do you know? Let's go here, you know. And so, so he became my assistant, and uh, I get mm. almost nine years ago, he saved my son's life. Wow! You know, my son was my son was my son my son was more hooked than I'd ever been. I couldn't believe it because of the drugs they got now. Eight and a half, my son was dying. Mario Castillo busted into a crack house, told a told told a bodyguard, sit down, I'll beat your head, pull my son out. And and we took him to, to I was in Germany when I got back. We we took him to rehab. And and a, and a, a girl named Renee 
I remember calling her, and I, I've known her right from meetings. <clears throat> Renee, I got, I got my son, and uh, I got to get him. Bring him. Bring him. I, but do you have a bed? Dan, I don't care. I'll double him up. Bring him. We took him up to a place called Rim of the World. It's it's up in Lake Arrowhead. And I remember we passed through the clouds getting up there. I remember my son going, well, <clears throat> all ideas of escape are out. <laughs> and this is through the cloud. My son's got eight and a half years clean right now. Wow. He just got into the DGA. He is now a bona fide director. <laughs> Whoa. So you tell me, God, don't worry. Slap your face. I'll tell you right now. Atheist, I will slap your face if you tell me, God, don't work. You know well, I mean? you know what? There's several miracles in that, Danny, because I think about the fact that you are such a giving person. I can see that, like giving back to the prisons, but giving this man a place to live. He goes and helps save your son. And I can just tell that just all of the the, the giving that you've done has made a difference. And, you know, as I think back over the 54 years, what do you think has been the biggest lesson you've learned about sobriety? And does it get any easier? That is the question. Because I know I think 54 years, is it easy at that point? Do you still struggle at that point? And what have you learned? The struggle is one day. And, you know, what can happen one day? You know, and, and, and it easier, it becomes a way of life. And once you become this way of life, then it's like, well, this is my life. It's funny. When I look at I walk into a liquor store and I see all these beautiful bottles. I, I see uh, <clears throat> poison. I see a skull and crossbone. I don't see, you know, uh, oh, look at this beautiful. I, I see a skull and crossbones. You know, people say, you want to get loaded? Oh, wait a minute. Do I want to go to prison? Get naked? Have to show my ass to a cop? No. See, because because... I don't remember the joy of using. I remember the armed robberies. I remember the shootings. I remember the burning. I remember all that. You know, so I, I, I love it when people people tell me, well, yeah, but I had a lot of fun. What are you talking about? Shitting on yourself, throwing up, embarrassing everybody around you. That was fun. Mm -hmm. You know, so I talk Not about that you lost a lot of friends too, or people to this disease. Oh, well, you know what? I'm telling you, it's like so funny. I'll tell you right now. When we go to a club, right? And I'm oh yeah, let me have a cranberry juice and seven up mix. Why don't you drink, Dan? Why don't you drink? Come on, why don't you drink? I say, You wanna know why I don't drink? Because when you get drunk, I'm gonna take your lady home. I think, so you make a joke you're, out of it to let them know. Be no good. And they go, Oh no, I don't drink that much, you know, because I mean, basically, wait a minute, I'm alive. You know, you're dying. Mm, that's powerful. You said, I'm alive. I want to bring you up your book real quick before we get your final comments, because all of this led you to write this book, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. What was the catalyst for the book? I know, I mean, you shared your story with a lot of people, but what led you say, I got to write this down. I've got to leave this legacy. I don't know how much time we got, but but his my everybody like from eight years ago, people were telling me write a book, Danny, write a book, and they'd send me writers, and I'd get a writer, and the minute they use the word like prolific, I well, I don't talk like that, man. I just say a lot, you know, and 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 uh, so I could never find anybody. In 1991, I ran into a kid named Donald Logue. I ran into him in the uh, uh, 
Hollywood Drug and Alcohol Center, right? At 12 o'clock at night, there was a meeting there. I walked in. I see this skinny little redheaded kid, and I go, uh, I go, hey, how you doing? He goes, hey, what do you mean? How? Who cares? Do you really care? And I thought, mm-hmm. should I kill this kid or just leave him? I couldn't believe it because he was like 120 pounds. And mm-hmm. I said, I said, you know what? Hey, have a great night. And I walked away, right? Eight years later, I run into this kid. Wait, in, the same uh, kid? Did yeah, he help me write the book? No, listen. Wait, I run into him. We're on a, a movie called Reindeer Games. And and Vin Diesel had, had has his role, but Vin Diesel wasn't right for the role. He This kid was supposed to play like kind of a, a goofy guy. You know what I mean? And Vin Diesel can't be goofy. I don't, you know, Vin Diesel is just Vin Diesel and he just goes fast. Okay. That's yeah. all, you know? Nah, don't make him a goofy guy. And so, and so I remember talking to Vin Diesel, telling him, hey, this ain't right for you, Holmes. What are you doing? He said, I'm doing a favor for this guy, man. I can't get into this role. I said, well, you better get out of here before we film you or then your toilet in Hollywood. Next day, he said, you know what? I'm, I'm out of here, Dan. Thank you, man. He left. And uh, they send up Donald Logue. They send up this kid who had been acting. And he's going through this unbelievable thing with his wife, had a baby two days ago, and he's got to come up to, uh, to Canada to do this movie. And he was just insane. I said, look, you're up here to support that kid, fool. You know what I mean? You're just, that's all there is to it. Now, you do whatever you want to do, but you're up here to support your kid. And so we became really good friends. I mean, we hung everything, man. And, and how did I, that get to the book? I you became were a storyteller. You're giving me all the details. <laughs> so when we started, we were driving around and he's I'm talking and he's writing and recording. And I, I gave a I gave uh, two chapters to my uh, kid's mom, Maeve, and she read it and said, damn, Dan, it's like talking to you. Mm. And when she said that, that was it. And then she said, look, this is about yeah your story. But what about your mom? What about your dad? You know? I said, well, that's their story. And then she said, why do you think you've been married four times? Why do you think you wouldn't trust me to go to the store? It mm-hmm. might have to do with your mom. And I'm mm-hmm. not. But so we put that stuff in. You'd be so surprised. it's very, I can tell it's very deep and transparent. How many guys have come to me? Man, the same thing happened in my family home. Mm. Broke our family apart. I was so embarrassed. And it was some heavy stuff, you know. And people have really confided in me because I put that in the book. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, you've just been so transparent even here with us today. And I can see, like you said, how your childhood and everything just led you to the moment of where you are now. And I look at you. I can't believe you're 78, first of all. I'm like, what? Can I look like that at 78? I mean, you got all this energy and everything. I just played, finished playing a 54-year-old guy. That's cool. Yeah. I know. I'm like, how does that even happen? Who gets that lucky? And I know you've said, Danny, I'm not retiring. So what's next for you as as we round up this addiction talk, people want to know I, I just what's finished next a film for you. Called, I just finished a film called Tim Travelers. It's about, it's kind of science fiction, unbelievable. I did a movie called uh, 1521 about when the Spaniards tried to colonize uh, the Philippines and they said, we'll baptize you or kill you. And uh, and then, uh, 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 you know, I got my record label. We're, we're going on 
tour with live nations. So that's like so cool. My singers are so proud. And like Tara knew, God, she can sing country, unreal. And but right now we're doing soldies. So you know, you're not slowing down is what I'm hearing, Danny. No, you, you got a record deal. You no. were just in Washington filming. You're keeping things going. So things you don't see yourself ever slowing down. Nah, my 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 uh, agent Gloria Inahosa calls me her workhorse. Yeah, my workhorse. You know, so could I? I don't. But what would I do? You know, I can only do so much fishing. You know? Right. You're like <laughs> I, I got to keep busy. I got a putty green. I got a putty green in my backyard. I never use. <laughs> it's like I don't want to golf. <laughs> you got to still keep putting your message out there. But you know, it's good because you're touching lives because of it, and because these kids see you in films and they recognize you. Like you said, you can walk into the school and it's silent. And they listen. So what you're doing and keeping going is having such an impact. And if there was any final message tonight, Danny, that you would leave with someone who is struggling, who's hearing your story, what would your be your final words tonight? Uh, you know what? I love saying I would rather shoot for the moon and miss than aim for the gutter and make it. Mm. That's, That's good. What- I love that quote. Honest to God, that's it. It's like, you know what? I don't care. You shoot for the moon, might miss, but you know, you're up there in the stars. Shoot for the gutter. You make that. You know, that's not that hard. So it's and about keep going. I, I don't give God, up. I thank God we just got Mayor Bass in in our 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 uh in our city and and I'm helping her with the homeless and stuff and and the mental health. Because that's the biggest problem is a lot of the people out there, mental health, we deal with bipolar, we deal with autism, we deal with uh, schizophrenia. You know, that's a lot of the people that are homeless. And I've been working with with special needs children. Uh, uh, that's why we got gluten free in our restaurants, because kids with autism don't do that well with gluten. Wow. Well, I just want to say thank you for coming on Addiction Talk. I know you're making a huge impact and we'll continue to watch you on the big screen. I'll be there. And that isn't going to do it for all of you who've been watching from your homes. That's going to do it for another episode of Addiction Talk, our final episode of 2022. Actor Danny Trejo, make sure you go check out his book if you haven't checked it out. But as you can see, he is on a mission to inspire and to change lives one person at a time. God bless you.